DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. going on everybody process potables we are live immediately following tough loss game four 103 to 100 the hawks pull out the win i am dan joined by steve make sure you follow us on all social media at process potables and if you're here hanging with us on twitch we appreciate it uh hit that follow button if you want so you can be notified when we are live on here steve you know just talk to me talk to me about this game, how you're feeling. Uh, does this change anything for you as far as the series, or is this just a, a valiant effort by a by a scrappy team and at home? I want to start off with a little bit of positivity here. I like it. I said from the Sixers and Six. Right, Sixers and Six. Sixers and Six. That's uh, where we're at right now. Dude, it's just you can point so many fingers in so many different directions, and the – the way this game ended kind of had a lot of game one vibes where Atlanta, you know, down the stretch, they played very impressively. We were shit for Astring had you know, a- almost the entire night and we still only lost by three. So like, dude, like, you know, a lot of it has to be the valiant effort, you know, of the Hawks. You kind of have to give credit where credit's due. Um, but our MVP didn't have, had a really bad game, uh, you know, Ben's foul shooting doesn't help. Um, you know, I mean, dude, there, there's so much to pick and choose from. Two things I will tell you. The the refs did not cause us this game, as a lot of people are quick to say. And just like you internet doctors, like, can we stop it, please, with the fucking body language policing? Like, I am so over that. I mean, if I had one of the worst games of my life in the playoffs and I was hurt on top of it, you're not going to be Miss Mr. Happy Go Lucky. Like it's whatever. Like, yeah. And I apologize to anybody who is on Twitch. I I hit the wrong button. So <laughs> we were recording the video but not streaming it. So we're now live on Twitch. Uh, that one's on me. Just just frustrated, man. Uh, frustrating game overall. Here's the thing, man. I know people are going to be upset, and 
as much as I wanted to stay confident throughout the time that the game was on, you know, looking back at it, it's frustrating. I get it. We're still far and away the better team. Obviously, it was impressive that with Danny Green going out so early in game three that it didn't seem to really change much for them then, but you knew going into a brand new game that that Atlanta was going to adapt for that and that you were going to adapt for that. And I don't think that, I mean, Corkmans didn't have a great game. I don't think he was a problem whatsoever, and people are probably going to point him out yeah. above anybody because it's the easy thing to do. But I, I don't know how to explain why they looked so sluggish in the third. I mean, the third quarter is really what it comes down to, and this was a, what's the word, an, an Achilles heel for this team in past seasons. And this year it seems like they had flipped that around, and the third quarter was generally a very good quarter for them. Yeah. And Tobias, everything was falling short, and Bede, everything was falling short. And with Embiid, you know the knee is going to have its flare-ups and its issues. He clearly didn't look great for most of this game, but he was rebounding well. It seemed like you know his, his defensive rotations and everything were there. He's protecting the rim, so there wasn't really a whole lot to complain about. And then somehow the wheels fall off in that third quarter, and no one can hit a shot. Shake Milton seemed like the only guy that was really – kind of, you know, valuable in offense yeah. at that time. And even then, uh, not a huge game for him, only eight points off the bench. But I felt like during that stretch, he was the only guy that you were really getting anything from. I think we talk a lot when we talk about Ben Simmons. We talk about how he comes out very aggressive and he tends to score a lot more in the first half than the second half, and he hunts out mismatches and drives more in the first half than the second half, and so on and so forth. I feel like, I'm not saying this is a criticism, it's just an observation, but I mean, I guess technically it's a mild criticism. I feel like for most of this postseason, as good as Tobias Harris has been, it's been a lot of the same with him in that regard. He plays so much better to me in the first half than the second half. And I just need to see, you know, you've got to win two of the next three. I need to see him in at least one of those games be a dominant second-half player. It seems like the same thing. He comes out with a full head of steam. He hunts mismatches. He's hitting his shots. And then I don't know if it's because he figures, you know, Joel is going to be the guy down the stretch and maybe he doesn't – he's not feeling himself in that role because he knows ultimately he kind of has to defer to Embiid and whatnot. But especially when you see Embiid laboring tonight – and the knee's not great that, like, you kind of have to take it over. And there was a, a very long stretch where he just wasn't doing that. You know, he goes 8 for 15 in this game for 20 points. But I think he had, I want to say he had, like, 13 or 14 at the half. So, not yeah. a great, I mean, not a great second half for anybody. Again, not not blaming Tobias Harris by any means. And he played a, a team-high th- almost 39 minutes, just shy of it. Um but you look at Trey Young down the stretch solving a ton of energy, and he played 40. So, you know, two different guys, two different stages in their career, I understand. Um, but I, I need them I need in one of the next two wins for the Sixers because they're, they're winning the series, right? You're not worried about the no. series? No, neither am I. They're winning the series. I, I need a Tobias second-half game. That, yeah. That's my, my biggest thing because you figure you're going to get an Embiid game. In in one of the next three games, you'll get an Embiid game. Probably that's prob- going to be Wednesday. Probably Wednesday. I agree. With in you. front of the home crowd, man. Right. Yeah. So, for for the entire redemption season, 
that Tobias Harris has had, I'm going to need him in game six to go into Atlanta and win us the game. So I think Embiid wins you game five at home. You probably get a really nice Seth Curry game too. I mean, I don't know, dude. Seth Curry's been playing well almost every game this series. He has. I mean, dude, like he's – I mean, is it overambitious to say he's maybe the most consistent player over the entire series? I think it's Embiid. I mean, he had like 39 and then 40 and then 27. Yeah. I know tonight was rough, but still, I'm, I'm going to say it's Joel. But no, but yeah. I mean, you, there's there, that's not to say that Seth hasn't been yeah. consistent. You're absolutely right. And when you look at his line for tonight, 7 of 11 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, another guy I think could be hunting more shots and everything. I'm surprised when I look at this to see that he played 35 minutes. I didn't feel like he was out there that much, which yeah. speaks to that. I think there's a lot of stretches where he's just not he's just quiet. all that involved. And, yeah. and I don't, I'm not giving any of that credit to Atlanta's defense. Um, I'll say this. Uh, Bogdanovich is, I'm not even going to say he's a better defender than I thought or than I think, but he's just, he's way more engaged on defense than I would have imagined. Um, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. Kevin Herter has a little... I had no idea he was 6'7", uh, which is funny because yeah. Ferk is 6'7". He is like the shortest 6'7 guy ever. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and <laughs> Herter, I, I, I agree. Um, he also does it of a soul, so... Yeah, I, I that'll think, do it too. I, I think that can impact your depth perception, but... So... We've already touched on a lot. A lot of the Sixers. I mean, I don't know if any if anybody stands out to you in a in a good or bad way, other than the guys we talked about. Again, like if you're if you're asking me, and Bead clearly didn't look right, and that's I mean, four of twenty from the field is just it's not going to get it done. But I still feel like Tobias and Ben in the second half were both way too passive. I, I Seth to a lesser degree, but could have hunted his stuff out more. But you know, I I expect them to use that. The same way they kind of used game one to look so good in game two, I think that you can use a poor second half here to motivate yourself for a game five. Is there anything, Steve, that you saw from Atlanta that impressed you, that worries you going forward? Or is, is you know, is, is there anything that you look at Atlanta-wise that you say, okay, that could be a problem? Or do you think this was more just the Sixers players not not having it and not and not executing? Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to say it, it was definitely more of the Sixers not executing. Um, th- the only other thing I could think of uh, was it uh, John Collins that was killing us on the off- you know on the defensive boards? Like he just had in almost two consecutive uh, possessions, had, just had these putbacks. He had five offensive rebounds. Yeah, twelve like, total, so seven defensive, and, five offense. I mean, yes, he, he was aggressive and made the most of his opportunities, but it's also one of those things where it's like. If the guys down low were just a little more cognizant and aware of their surroundings, they could just, like, you know, move their ass in, like, a s- different direction to box them out, and, like, that's how you stop it. And, I mean, he's, what, 6'5"? I mean... John Collins? Yeah. No. He's bigger than that. Is he bigger? Okay. I, he's a, I mean, he's a power forward. I don't think he's... I think he might only be, like, 6'8", but... Okay. Um, they have him listed at 6'9". Oh, Wow. So, oh, I mean, I'm I, a little off. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think he's yeah. six nine. But, but and, and dude, like the the one thing that it just seems like no one wants to admit, other than us Sixers fans, is that Trey Young cannot play a fucking lick of defense. No, he can't. Not if his hair depended on it. And I do love. Was it this uh, toward the second quarter, or maybe beginning of third quarter? 
Seth had this uh, one play where he he pushed out with the left arm and made a shot over Trey, and Trey was drawn at the rush. And it's like <laughs> it's like he used his own finishing move against him, you know? And, and, classic attitude, Aaron. Yeah, classic. Yeah, everything's wrestling. The, but the, the thing when I look at Atlanta in this game, especially, dude, Trey Young took twenty six shots. Bogdanovich took twenty four. I mean, nobody else on that team wants to score. None of them want to beat you. No. I mean, John Collins is six of fifteen. We talked about the rebounding, and the rebounding was great. But even with all these putback opportunities at the rim, the guy shoots forty percent from the field. I mean, the rest of that team is fucking bad. And even with Young and Bogdanovich shooting that much, they were inefficient as hell. the The scariest thing to me in this one was the fact that. The Hawks only have four turnovers because I remember at one point they yeah. showed the graphic that the Sixers had 10 and the Hawks had three. They only end with four turnovers. And when you look at the Sixers having 12, I mean, I think 12 is like average. Yeah, it's you like can a live tad with bit that. below the league but average. Yeah. We just found out tonight, which I mean, I don't even know if it's worth talking about, especially after this performance. But you have Ben Simmons, first team all defense, and you Joel Embiid and Matisse Thybul, second team all defense, and you... They had four turnovers. Yeah, that I, that doesn't sit well with me. No, but I I will say I had because when we first saw that uh, graphic in the second half that they only had three turnovers at that point, my thought was like, you know, we were all talking about how well at times they played defensively in the first half, but I feel like it's just they they kind of played lockdown defense in a way that they were just like forcing them to take bad shots. They weren't, uh, you know, stealing the ball or you know getting turnovers and of course that's one of the best ways to create offense without having the ball but um it's just it's it's kind of weird how how that happened right it's just they 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 forced them to take bad shots and that wasn't enough i think one of the other problems with the sixers game because a lot of people have been talking about this in kind of a positive way to this point, obviously because they've had success when they're up 2-1, but when you live with the mid-range, and especially when your best mid-range player is arguably your center, the the problem is that even though you know you're shooting these mid-range shots, Seth can shoot it, Tobias can shoot mm-hmm. it, Joel can shoot it, they also don't want to clog the lane. And what happens is, especially if Embiid's the one taking it, nobody's down there trying to rebound because you don't want to be in his way. You don't want to have a defender there that can come off you and double. And I think that's a a thing because when you look at the rebounding discrepancy in this, and the Sixers actually still had one more rebound total than the Hawks at 62-61, but the Hawks had 12 offensive rebounds, so the Sixers eight. And I, and I think that says a lot about the fact that the Sixers just don't get those opportunities. And when you look at who got them, Dwight had three, Ben had three, Joel had two. So nobody else on the team with a single offensive rebound. The guy that stands out the most out of me is Tobias Harris. Because yeah. Tobias Harris is really, you know, your small forward, your power forward, whatever you want to call it, depending on, on the lineup, depending on who he's out there with. But uh, he's had a, a good series rebounding until tonight. Only five boards in this one, all defensive. Um just just not a great showing. And, dude, I, I don't know if it's me, but I swear to God, we are the worst team in the league when it comes to those volleyball tip rebounds. Like, it just almost seems like every uh, other time when Simmons, like, taps the ball to someone, it's to the completely wrong person. I don't think I, I agree I just, with that. Like, You could I'm, be right. I don't I, know. I'm probably alone on that island, but it's just like there's, like, at least three or four times I'm like, just grab the fucking ball and, like. Well, okay. Well, so there's two different thoughts there i think that they should just focus on getting the rebound instead of doing the tip thing yeah Yeah. i'm with you there 
But I do think that, especially with Embiid and Simmons, I think they do earn a decent amount of extra possessions once in a while because of their length, because they can swat that ball back out to the point. I don't think that they have a problem gathering that more than more or less than any other team. I sure. think you know, they, they probably do it a little bit more because of how long they typically are. But I do agree with the sentiment that you could just focus on going up and getting the rebound rather than trying to do this tip drill thing, which is the same thing I think with a lot of guys, especially Ben and Tobias at times, where it's like, you guys can dunk like pretty easily, and there's too many times where they don't, where they try yeah. and do some other dumb bullshit, some layup attempt, some hook shot thing, some floater thing, and it's like, you're bigger, stronger, faster than almost anybody you're ever matched up with. Right. Like, can you just finish the fucking play? And especially with Ben, so many times you think he's going to have an and one and somehow the ball just doesn't go in the fucking net and he's not going to hit his free throws. So like you have to convert that opportunity at the rim because you're not going to fucking get it at the line. Like if you, if if you make the two and miss the free throw, I don't really give a shit. Yeah, It's fine. But if you miss this fucking bunny at the rim and then go brick two free throws, that's what gets everybody all pissed off. Yeah, no, I certainly, and real quick, going back to the rebounding thing, I will say that sometimes like those long, you know, tip rebounds, that's also a necessity on like long rebounds, especially, but there's this one play that uh, sticks out where Dwight Howard kind of did. I'm like, dude, you're right in a post, like the ball's right there, just grab it, go back up, try to get fouled, but, but I mean, more importantly, yeah, Ben Simmons, uh, you know, needing to be aggressive going to the basket and just... You know, it drives me nuts. It just seems like it's almost like these, you know, like we said the other ebbs and flows maybe or just fits where Simmons, uh, he goes to the basket and then just wants to pass out of it every time. And then sometimes it's like he goes to the basket and just he's drawing a contact but not making these bunnies. And you saw in game three in the second half, there was this this moment that I, I think was going around like Twitter and stuff that it did get it did get caught on video where Doc pulled Ben over to like the sideline and was definitely like kind of like yelling at him, like getting on him about something. And we saw probably the best version of second half Ben Simmons yeah. we've seen in the entire playoffs in that game three. And it turned into the Sixers routing Atlanta in Atlanta. And you're thinking, okay, like they can do this whenever they want. And now they know it. And the series is over, and clearly tonight they didn't come out with that same energy. You mentioned Dwight Howard, Steve, and my question for you, especially with Embiid laboring, I feel like Dwight is is playing pretty good, and against this Atlanta team especially, he actually like can stay out on the floor and get his minutes because Atlanta plays two natural centers as well between Capella and Okongwu. I think I'm saying that right? Yeah. Uh, those two combine the play almost 42 minutes. So for most of the game, Atlanta is not going small. They do try John Collins at, at small ball center sometimes, but for the most part, they've been hurt in this series because of Embiid and even because of Dwight Howard to an extent. Dwight only plays 11 minutes and 45 seconds in this one. I mean, at this point, with, with Embiid laboring and now knowing this series is at least going six... Like, is there any thought to maybe try and get and be closer to, you know, 30 to 32 rather than pushing him in, in this 35, 36 range where you're seeing in, in the second half that he just really doesn't have, you know, whether it's fatigue, whether it's, a, a, you know, stamina, whether it's the injury, you know, whatever it is. We saw a lot of his shots, you know, going short, which means he's not elevating, which is obviously probably the knee. But it was weird because 
there was a there was a clip when he went to the bench. I think it was in the third quarter, and there's like there's this one woman who's I guess part of the training staff, the medical staff or whatever, who usually comes yeah. in on the bench and like wraps his knee and works his knee, and he like waved her off, and I don't know if that was. I assume it's because he didn't need it because if it's bothering you that bad wouldn't wouldn't you take the treatment so th- to me that was like a, oh like he must be feeling pretty okay with it but yeah. then his play didn't suggest the same so do, do you think they have to look at his minutes in the in, you know in the rest of the series and be concerned about you know production versus you know having him out there i think so and that's going to vary game to game uh like uh Going back to game three, dude, like, at, at the end, how many times we were all, like, get Embiid the fuck out of there, uh, you know, we w- with the lead and everything. Yeah, he and was out there at, way at too that, long. In that yeah, game. so, I, I mean, sometimes it's just, it always seems like they're not pulling the trigger early enough or they're waiting way too long to take him out of the game. And, I mean, listen, Dwight's our only option in the playoffs backup center. I mean, if we have B-ball Paul, as much as we all love him, if he's getting – meaningful playoff minutes that's a really really bad sign um but i have you know with that said i have faith in dwight howard and you know he's not going to have the same production offensively as Embiid. but on the game like tonight dude where you know he just was off physically mentally i I mean i i don't see why they could have you know taken him out for a longer spell during the third quarter or something like that yeah, I know they were much more in control in Game 3 than in Game 4, but there was still a point in, I think it was in the third quarter in Game 3, that Atlanta took the lead. It was like 80-79. to 79. I think it was their first and maybe their only lead yeah. of the game. I think the Sixers rallied after that. But So even in a game where it was close in the third, I mean, Embiid in that one played just shy of 34 minutes and had a really efficient game. Um, another thing tonight, because I think you tweeted something about this, was... I'm um, just curious your thoughts on the officiating. Do you feel like, you know, both teams were not getting calls, getting calls? Did one team get more than the other? Because they were talking about it on the pregame, and uh, I think they said in every game in this series to this point, Embiid had gotten to the line at least 15 times. You lose this game by three. Do you know how many free throw attempts he had in this one? How many? Eight. Hmm. He went eight of eight from the line. And both teams had 21 free throw attempts, so it was, it was even as far as that's concerned. The Sixers only made 15, while the Hawks made 17. So, uh, you know, Sixers shooting 71% from the line while the Hawks shot 80. Clearly not even the difference is it's only a two free throw difference, but yeah, you know, the, the Sixers make a couple more. And Ben Simmons continues to struggle one of five from the free throw line, just not getting it done. Do, do you have any issue with the officiating tonight, or...? I, I have an issue with the officiating, but for, you know, different reasons. I don't think the obviously the officiating seemed to go more towards a Hawks way, but, dude, we definitely got the benefit of some no calls or some bad calls. Um, it, you know, it, it does kind of go both ways, but it definitely tips a little more in favor with the Hawks. I don't know if that's just the benefit of being a home team, but – I think that the bigger issue is just the state of officiating the NBA. I mean, dude, like, I remember, again, this is one of those things, you know, probably growing up watching basketball, and it doesn't seem that too long ago where you would see a bad call on one end, but on the other end, the refs, you know, make a shitty call as, you know, just to quote-unquote make it up. And we don't see those anymore. 
we just see two consecutive very you know bad calls on each end. Like that's how it ends up evening it out. They even out a bad call with another bad call, and like that's just how it seems like all series. Although, if there's one, you know, one of the takeaways I did have from Game Three was the officiate. You know, the officiate wasn't awful. I mean, it wasn't. You know, I'm not going to say they were outstanding, but it, I didn't walk away thinking that the officiating was really, really bad. But dude, and then I saw earlier today, I got a notification that. The NBA wants to review, uh, you know these these calls that Trey Young and Harden gets. You know, oh, yeah, these, I wanted to talk to you about that. Too. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, like I, I they, they definitely should. But two things, I think people are kind of forgetting. Embiid gets some calls like that sometimes. You know, with being a, a little overly, you know, he gets away with some shit. Okay, Let, let's be honest. Yes, and two, dude, like rather than changing the rules or looking at things closer like they just need to fucking officiate right like get back to the basics well so there's two different things there i agree with you that they need to just officiate right and so that's why i think i don't think a rules change is the right way to do it i think Correct. that i think that's a problem and so if you if you read the wording of what they're actually trying to get out it's not really you know, just like ticky tack fouls. It's not. It's not a problem with guys who are skilled at drawing fouls. That's the difference in a Joel Embiid and and even a James Harden. A yeah. lot of their fouls are generated by swing throughs, by catching you with your hand. You know, your hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Yeah, things like that. That's not. They don't need to change calling that. That's a thing. You got to keep your hand out of there. You know, hand down, man down. It leads to pull-up jumpers, which we know Embiid can do. You catch an arm in there, and, and the arm hits the arm. They're going to call yeah. that all the time. That's a foul. That's just what it is. But you saw it was game three, I think, where Trey Young had, I, I think it was Matisse, on his back hip. And instead of going toward the basket, he decided he was going to, like, fade away because a guy was behind him. And that's the, the kind of wording yeah. they have in there is they don't want guys that are in their shooting motion to be going sideways or, you know, into a guy who's behind them because it's not a natural move. Right. And that I'm okay with. And it's actually funny. I think Kincaid tweeted it, how that same exact sequence happened in game two as well. Yeah. And they called it both times. Yeah. Like it, it's not the only time they're consistent is, you know, a bullshit like foul call. And, and, and to that point, though, and what's frustrating about it is, as of now, they haven't changed anything. So, yeah. like, those still technically have to be called until they oh, either sure. just tell the refs to knock it off, or you do implement some kind of rule change again, which I'm technically I'm personally not about. I think you just need to be smarter as a referee and use better judgment. But you saw tonight that there were a lot of times where, and both teams did it, but a lot of guys were like again, trying to draw that contact. And for some reason tonight, they're swallowing whistles. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating is it's inconsistent. And that's why I don't think a rule change is going to help with that. You just need to get these refs to just call it when they see it and not be afraid to do it, but also not, you know, make the shit up either. Yeah. And the other thing that drives me nuts is we have instant replay specifically to get the call right. And more often than not, it seems it's they still make the same call. And dude, like I don't want to bring this up, but it's like that Jokic foul the other night. Like that was like, dude, that was a really, really bad call. And they even had the benefit of instant replay. And you know, are you talking about the flagrant? Yeah. Wait, you think why do you think it was a bad call? I don't think that was a flagrant too. 
He hit him in the. He almost broke his nose. I need to see the replay. Again. I think he hit like, him on the top, of, on, on the bridge of the nose. I think it was almost like a ha- hammer fist. I know yeah. some people were saying they didn't get him in the face. I saw him get him in the face. Yeah, and but then know. like you know he he got up and played the rest of the game. He was perfectly fine. Like I, f- I felt like he. Well, yeah. Almost, so he didn't break his nose. That doesn't mean it's not a flagrant. It, yeah. The flagrant is not about the result. It's about the the action. You yeah. know, like Sam Hankey said, you know, the, the, it's it's not about the results. It's about the process. But you know that that's right. But uh, but I I want to ask you about this because this was this is the worst thing in this series so far to me, and I'm not even saying it's not a foul. But this is the biggest thing in officiating that I hate. That has to change. It's waiting for the result of the play before oh you decide my. if you're going to blow the whistle. Yeah. And that Trey Young play, mm-hmm. where Embiid smacked him in the face. Like when, yeah. Once we saw the replay, we were like, all right, yeah, his hand came down on his face. But they didn't call it until a, a good four to five seconds after the shot didn't go in. And the Sixers were already moving the other way. So, like... You missed it, and I'm sorry, but if you don't get it in real time, you don't get to call it later. You yeah. either get it in time, or you got to swallow the whistle. Yeah, and that, and if there's any kind of rule change for me, that's something I would implement. It's something that says that, like, if you don't blow the whistle within two seconds of the occurrence, right? It can't be called. And if a coach thinks that you did that, they should be able to challenge it, and yeah. they should be able to say, "No, you missed it." You don't get to make up for it now. And to your point earlier, what will happen, and I'll understand it, but honestly, I'll live with this rather than what's happening now, is they'll probably just make up for it in some other way on the next possession. Yeah. And you'll know it. Yeah. But I I would live with that, that oh, better than I would this, this bullshit. Because then at least they're going to have to find something to call a foul. And it'll be ticky-tack or it'll be, you know, yeah. iffy. But it'll it'll be there. You you won't look at it and say that's completely wrong. Whereas with that Trey Young play, it's like I mean you got it right, but you you can't be that fucking late on it, and you can't call it once the Sixers are about to be in transition. Yeah, and especially when like you know it's it's Embiid and Trey Young on the floor, and the Sixers are about to run the break, and the the Hawks are without their you know, point guard who can get back in transition versus Embiid is going to walk down the court anyway. So it's a huge advantage for the Sixers at that point, and they're taking it away. Yeah, and, and, and you know, to your point, it's just that's one way how, you know, officials can ruin the game. It's at the Sixers. They're like, all right, we, we just made a big uh, stop on defense. Let, let's go. And then they, you know, make the call five seconds later, and, like, it just really disrupts the game. Like, Yeah, I, I and think- it slows the, I mean, God, this game this – game, one, this game was supposed to start at seven thirty, and it didn't. It started like eight o'clock. Yeah, and then I mean, we've been doing. We're about to hit thirty minutes, so the game didn't end until you know ten fifteen, ten twenty. Yeah. So it's like, dude. I mean, you know, I want to. I want to watch the game, and I don't want the game to be an hour. But that game, that game didn't need to be over two and a half hours. Yeah. And especially, you know, when we're on the East Coast and we're talking weeknights, it's like, dude, like, I, you know, I get done work and I'm waiting for this game to start and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and I'm already tired by the second quarter. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm just old and, like, yeah. complaining at this point and no one probably wants to hear it, but, like, <laughs> fuck, man, I'm tired. Yeah. Some of us have to talk about this shit. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And even though we definitely don't have to do this and nobody probably gives a shit, but... Um, <laughs> It's still super appreciated. Steve, talk to me about Game 5. We're going to be in the building. We'll be in attendance. We'll be there. Uh, so if anybody's going to be there, uh, hit us up. We'll we'll probably be having some lot beers, of course. 
uh, from the Good Brothers at Brotherton, definitely, and, and probably some others as well. But talk to me first about defensively. Like, what do you think the Sixers need to improve on? What can they do differently or better? Or, you know, what did you see in this one that just has to change for the Sixers to go up 3-2 on Wednesday? You know what, dude? I, I'm not so sure you really need to change much defensively. And it goes back to, I, I know I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record, but each game this series, I mean, yes, the Hawks won. It was only by three. And with each game, their, their offense significantly drops. They look tired as the game goes on. There was one or two occasions where we saw Trayon just take an absolute garbage 30, 35 foot jumper that no one, you know, had any faith that it was going in. And at, at at the end of the game, seeing him with all that like ice wrapped up around him and everything, like you know, everyone wants to keep talking about Embiid's injuries, and you know, fair enough. But we've we talked about this uh, even before the series began. Like you know, we kind of see a little parallel with like these tip teams where they just wear down. And I just think you know they're going to have you know. Obviously, they're the away team going into a town like Philly, but, dude, like, they – I don't know if they have what it takes to try to match up with the Sixers. You know, when they get home and they're on, on their home court with our fans, like, that's going to be really, really tough to match that intensity. And if you don't have that intensity, you know, I, I don't see them shooting that well in the second half. Yeah, I think I, I think you nailed it. I think when you look at Bogdan and Trae Young both playing 40-plus in this one and, and the effort it took to to steal this one, essentially, uh, the Sixers collapsing in the second half and you still squeak it out. Uh, Trey's shoulder is definitely beat up. He wears the tape on it when he's out there. He has it heavily wrapped whenever he's on the bench. I mean, there's, there's no reason to expect them to be able to come into Philly. And the game's on Wednesday, so there's one day tomorrow for travel. Yeah. Um, I assume the Sixers will probably are probably going to come home tonight. Atlanta, yeah. I would guess, doesn't leave till tomorrow, um, and probably just takes the day. So there's no reason to expect that those guys to have to have a whole lot in the tank. And I think that's the one thing that uh, will speak to the Sixers going a little deeper than Atlanta does is just being able to have you know other guys who are fresh. If you have to stretch out, uh, like we talked about, maybe a couple more Dwight minutes, maybe some more George Hill minutes. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you try to restart the the Maxi uh, train after giving it, after he hasn't done too much since Shake Milton uh, took over. Was that game two? Yeah. So. And maybe we need, uh, you know, let's try to end on a positive here. We we need a good a good bell ringer. Give me Brian Dawkins. Give me someone that's gonna fucking feel true. That, yeah, we def- light that place on fire. Yeah, we definitely we definitely need to kick it off right now. Because the- I love Doctor J, but like, come on. No, it can't be anybody that that we've seen. No, you know, I, I this is my seventh year with season tickets. Like, there's some of those guys that you just see way too often. Um, also, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need my dude to sing the anthem. Ron Brooks. Ron Brooks. Yeah, we need a Ron Brooks anthem. Yeah. If Ron Brooks doesn't sing the anthem, I'm gonna be fucking pissed off. It, it, it seems like as of late they've only had that one woman who works for the Sixers. She's great, but you know this is a Ron game. Uh, yeah. You know maybe the problem is I don't know. If maybe Ron's not like. Uh, maybe it's not safe for him to go in the big crowds and stuff. Yeah, with COVID and everything. I mean, I know everything's lifted now and stuff, but there's still people that are high risk. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if a uh, double amputee 
is a high is a high risk yeah. candidate. So uh, may, maybe that's not practical or safe. But if it is, you know, I'm not a fucking doctor. I don't know, dude. Yeah, uh, if he's it an is, eagle eagle scout. So he, he, he probably knows a way around it. Where's that vaccine card, like a badge or something? I don't know. I don't think that's how any of that works. Oh, no, I was in the Boy Scouts. I, I was, and it was terrible. <laughs> um, anything Sixers specific that you think, you know, they need to change that they could do more of, less of, or anything uh, for Game Five that can help them, you know, take the three-two lead and be a game away from an Eastern Conference Final. See, the easy answer is just Embiid having a better night. Of course. Ben being aggressive. But here's something. I, I think we touched on this earlier with Ben and Tobias being passive at times and, you know, obviously not being aggressive enough. It sometimes just feels like they don't have, they don't trust themselves. And I don't know if maybe they trust the rest of the teammates, especially Embiid more. But we just need those moments where they're like, like, I got this and just execute on offense. And just it, from the way I'm looking at it, just my perspective, just seems like they they just need to trust themselves more. Gotta trust the process, man. Trust the process. Trust yourself. I'll tell you the one thing uh, I know a lot of people were pointing it out. Uh, I know our friend Dan's Bad Tweets uh, definitely said something about it. Is He was like, is that the most like dunks Embiid's ever had in a game? Is that the most alley-oops Embiid's ever had in a game? I was like, dude, Embiid was a insane rim runner in game three. Yeah, you saw none of that tonight. And obviously, I'm guessing the knee might have had something to do with it. I I need him or Ben, one of the two, or if you have to play, like I need more lobs of the hoop. You saw Atlanta throw like 15 fucking lobs, and they only converted maybe eight or nine of them. Yeah, uh, but they had a ton of them. They throw so many. You've got to match that energy. Like yeah. I know it's only two points, and you can get two points any number of different ways, but the momentum swing, the energy, and again, you talked about it being in Philly, being with that crowd, man. If you yeah. if in, you come out in the first quarter and you get one or two nice, you know, Ben to Joel dunks early, the, you're gonna light the place on fire. Yeah, and and dude, that that's something Dwight Howard can do. He can. Like he's he probably the night. best. Yeah. He had like, that one handed one tonight. It's like the only one yeah. I think they had in the whole game, it felt like. Yeah. And uh we talked about it before the game. You showed me that one video on Twitter. They ran that Chicago slice play, which was just like like bonkers to me about I was just like, huh, I'm like I haven't seen anything like that or just haven't really maybe observed it. And but then the variations that they throw out them, they're like once the Hawks think they have it figured out, they throw like. And I'll tell you, I was looking out for that play. Yeah, and I didn't see it. I saw it in the first quarter like once, okay. and, and it didn't really come to fruition. They didn't really get the uh, the screen under the rim set up right, so the play kind of broke down. But yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Atlanta makes the adjustment. Obviously, if if you see that they ran it time and time again, and you get time to actually work on it, being that there was two days off between. You know, game game three and game four. You obviously are gonna you know figure out how to work on that a little bit. They definitely like like I said, I don't think that Bogdanovich is necessarily like a better defender than I thought because I don't think he's that good. But he was definitely engaged tonight, and they were picking up guys way out beyond the arc. Whereas I think yeah. in game three they were letting guys kind of get ahead of steam. You know, they weren't picking them up till basically at the three-point line or anything. This time, they were kind of extending their defense out a little more. 
You just have to figure out how to make them pay for that. And unfortunately, I feel like the whole rim runner kind of thing is a way to do that. You need to get guys off the ball going to the rim instead. And I don't know if it was, again, the fatigue thing, an injury thing, a confidence thing. Yeah. But tonight, it didn't feel like guys were willing to do that. They were settling. They, were, they, weren't, they weren't confident. They weren't aggressive. They weren't assertive. And... Oh no, you got to figure it out, man. Yeah, and and dude, I don't think Nate McMillan is is a you know a tactician by any means. No, like I, I you know I think you can throw that same shit at them, and sure they're they're going to be a little more prepared for it, but can they execute that defensively that well? Well, okay, I, I mean that's not a Nate. I don't think that's a Nate McMillan problem. That's that's not having the guys. Like I'm not. I don't want to okay, talk shit yeah, on Nate McMillan fair. for the sake of just doing. I mean, it. I kind of want to do, but fair. I mean, enough. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I think he's an average coach, but I yeah. mean. I don't think you can just throw the same shit at him and expect it to work. I think that's why it didn't work tonight. But uh, Atlanta, just, no one on that team is a good defender. I mean, Capella's fine. Yeah. But not not against a Joel Embiid type. Yeah, like so, he's a rim protector, but that's so, it. So like, ultimately, you look at the rest of them and you say, okay, well, every other guy should be able to win their matchup anyway. And even if you think Capella's a good defender, and you know, I think he's fine, like he's not stopping Embiid. So ultimately, none of them no. are good defenders because none of them can stop the opposing guy. And again... We talk, I mean, you you said it at the top of the episode, really. Like, Trey Young can't guard anybody. That seemed like something, especially like Tobias Harris hunted down early in game three and set the tone for the game. Uh, he was posting him up. He was driving on him. They were, like, switching him onto him. Atlanta clearly, I guess, made some kind of adjustment on that. But at the same time, like, Trey Young's out there. He's got to guard somebody. Yeah. Tonight, it was. It seemed like he was on Furcon, and maybe you have to figure out a way to exploit that matchup a little bit more because, again, Talked about Kevin Herter being six seven. Furkan Korkmaz is six seven. Yeah, and he's like he's got to be like two ten, yeah, maybe 200, 210. So like he should still be able to body Trey Young, who's got to be what one seventy, one eighty, oh, if God. that. Yeah, and I mean Furkan, he's not one to play his back to the basket. No, he's not going to post them up. Or yeah, anything, but he should but. definitely be able to like you know hit him over Trey Young. Yeah. So. Yeah, and there, well, in in that example of that Chicago slice, there is one where uh, it's the second option on the play if it doesn't come to fruition on the first way, where right. Embiid set, set the screen and did the dribble handoff to Furkan, and Trey goes over over the top of it. He he tries his best, but he's not big enough to contest the shot. So Furk still hits an open three on the move. Yeah, so you can get that look. So, um, some something definitely to look at for sure. So, yeah, I mean. Listen, I, I, I was confident going into it. It sucks that they lost, but it's it Sixers sucks. And, it's, it's Sixers and it's Six. It's okay to be angry, but don't lose your faith. It's Sixers and Six. It's Sixers You're and allowed six. to be mad. You are allowed you know, to be mad. Just, just, you know, don't Unless be you have not you, mad in your handle, then you're probably not allowed to be you mad. You can have madness, but not cowardice. Mm, madness, not cowardice. That could be an episode title. Yeah. Okay. Madness, not cowardice. I like it. All right, well, we'll leave it at that. So be mad all you want. Get it out of your system. Tomorrow, you got to cut that shit out, though. Don't you, be a you have fucking to, coward. Once you go to bed, you got to shut that shit down, mm-hmm. people. So uh, appreciate everybody who tuned in on Twitch. Appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. Make sure you follow us on all social media, at Process Potables. If you use DraftKings Sportsbook, or if you, more importantly, don't use DraftKings Sportsbook, you decide you want to, use promo code TBPN. Uh, you get a uh, special bonus offer, and you do support the podcast. Follow Steve on Twitter at SWJones87, myself on Twitter at Dan Says That. Thanks, everybody, for listening, watching, whatever the hell you did. Uh, Sixers and six, we will talk to you. I don't know when we're going to pod because we're definitely not going to do it after game five because uh, I'm going to be very drunk. But 
uh, <laughs> you, you'll get plenty of content off our social media, I'm sure. So uh, tune in for that. Uh, thanks, everybody, and trust the podcast.